We're in this series called Christmas at the Gathering. Christmas at the Gathering. We've been moving, moving through uh, some stories in the Old Testament that reveal the Christmas story hundreds to thousands of years before it would ever happen. We believe that the, the Bible is consistent and clear from start to finish. In fact, I'm fascinated uh, by the ways that the Bible uh, reveals the ultimate plan that God had beginning in Genesis and carrying on all the way through Revelation. We see so much uh, of God's word that tells us the way he always intended to rescue us, which is what Christmas is all about, the beginning of that story of salvation. And so we've been studying the Old Testament and just exploring some of these ways that God was preparing us for Christmas. The first week we looked 2,000 years before Christmas, 4,000 years before where we sit today at the story of Abraham and Isaac and the way that God was declaring what he was preparing to do for us even then. Last week, Pastor Mikey uh, told the incredible love story of Ruth and Boaz and how Jesus came to be our redeemer, that he is the one that has redeemed us from a place of sorrow and bitterness into a place of joy, and that is what Christmas is all about for us. And today, I, I, I've got another love story for you. Uh, I just, I love, love, love a love story. Listen, I know you guys are watching some of those guilty pleasure Hallmark love stories at Christmas time. I love the consistency of Hallmark, man. You know, you just got to appreciate that for 40 years, they've been producing the exact same movie with different actors every Christmas. And, uh, and we just love, we love a good love story. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite love stories in the Bible. And it's really one of my favorite declarations of the Christmas story in the whole Old Testament. I'm fascinated by this story. I will tell it as often as I can. Uh, and so today... We're going to talk about Hosea and Gomer, a love story for Christmas. Hosea was an Israelite prophet. In those days, prophets were responsible for communicating the direct message of God to the people. They were the voice of God to the people. They, they, were, they were seen as a religious leader for all the people. They were the ones that would communicate the direction God had to the kings of the time, who would communicate the things that were yet to come to the people. They, they were the voice of God, and Hosea was one of these prophets, a holy man. And Hosea's message was centered on love, especially and obviously God's love. God's love. In the beginning of his ministry, God goes to speak to Hosea, maybe for the first time. Uh, this is maybe when Hosea is being called into being a prophet. And Hosea has got to be excited about this. I imagine uh, he, he's ready to go. What message have you got for me, God? What, do you gonna, what are you going to use me to declare to the people? How are you going to call me, God? At the same time, in the northern kingdom, there is a man named Isaiah. Isaiah is another prophet. And the book of Isaiah is filled to the brim with prophecies of the coming Messiah, of, of Jesus. And, and the way that Isaiah is called into his ministry is that God opens the throne room of heaven. 
and allows him to enter. And he's one of only a, a, just a couple people in all of human history that got to see and enter the throne room of heaven before his time. And Isaiah has come into the throne. By now, Hosea has heard about Isaiah going into the throne room of heaven. So he's got to be excited. He's like, Isaiah got to go and see the throne of God. What do I get to do, God? What have you got for me? God says, well, it's not quite that. Instead of a message right now, Hosea, I'd like for you to do something for me. You are going to become an object lesson. Hosea is a little confused at this point, but he says, okay, God, what is it that you would have me do? God says, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Go marry a prostitute and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, I know there's children in here today, and we're going to use that word a lot. And so pastor's going to teach him a new word and meaning today. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Christmas stories, uh, which is A Muppet Christmas Carol. And in that movie, there's a scene with some ghosts, Marley and Marley, and uh, Rizzo and Gonzo are outside. And Rizzo says, hey, don't you think this is a little scary for the kids? And Gonzo says, it's okay, it's culture. And so that's where we're at today, guys. It's okay, it's the Bible. And so Hosea is asked by God to go and find and marry this prostitute. Can you imagine his response? I can guarantee you that whatever he expected, it was not that. This is not what he signed up for. He's supposed to be a holy man. A holy man would not do something like this. Take a woman like that to be his wife. But God tells him to do it, and so Hosea does it. He marries this prostitute with this odd name of Gomer. And as you can imagine, marrying a prostitute brought some considerable baggage into their marriage. I should mention that at the time, Israel's definition of love was very dysfunctional. If you read the book of Hosea, you'll see this reflected in all of Hosea's messages. The people of that day, they viewed love as a commodity which could be purchased. They saw love as the pursuit of self-gratification. They spoke of loving, inanimate objects. They defined love like this. You can buy it. All of love revolved around me. What benefits me? What do I want? I define love because love is all about me. That is not the kind of love that God created us to experience. But that is the kind of love the Israelites were living in. It was about being satisfied personally, about possessions, about things, about stuff, about me. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not too different from the culture that we're living in still today. And so in a world like that, God decided that he needed to demonstrate to the people the true meaning of love. He decided he had to give us a concrete example of the extravagant way that he loves us and the distance he's prepared to go for us. And so in order to accomplish that, he asked his prophet to go and marry this prostitute. Hosea marries Gomer, and things are going okay at first. Uh, they have three kids, each with a different name, intended to communicate a message to the people of Israel. Go and read uh Chapter 1 of Hosea talks about the kids' names. They're a bit harsh, but this is all part of the object lesson. 
And so they've got three kids. They're married. Hosea is prophesying to Israel. Gomer is at home with the kids. Things seem to be going pretty well. But then one day, Hosea wakes up, and, and she is gone. I don't know why. Maybe the pressure of being the wife to the voice of God, the spiritual leader of Israel, and the mother of his three children felt like a little bit much for a former prostitute who is still struggling with the sins of her past. Maybe she just woke up one day and couldn't believe where she was and ran back to the last thing she knew. So she ran away from Hosea and their children and went back to her former line of work. The text specifically says she became an adulteress, but if you study the context, it becomes very clear. She's gone back to her old life. Hosea is now carrying the weight of being the spiritual leader of Israel and a single father of three kids. Let's pick it up in chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Don't get all hung up on the raisin cakes. It's a secondary, okay? Don't just sit there wondering about raisin cakes for the rest of the message. All right? I don't know. The Bible never explains it. Hosea drops that line in here and never, ever explains what it means. So deal with it. The Bible is mysterious. Now imagine this scene. God has asked Hosea to go and find Gomer and bring her back into his home. I think this must have been the ending of that, that vision from God. Hosea stands up, paces around his house. I mean, I, I imagine it was really difficult the first time when he went and found this woman and brought her into his home. But now, the woman he was married to for years, the mother of his children, has left him for prostitution. And God is telling him to go and find her and bring her home. So Hosea's got to go looking for her. And can you imagine where he had to go to find her? The seediest places in town. The darkest alleys. Red light districts. Places no reputable man should go. Where you would not expect to see a prophet of God wandering around. That's where Hosea is. Asking questions. Have you seen this woman? Describing her to the worst kinds of people imaginable. Just wondering if anyone knows where to find her. The mother of my children is missing. Would you help me? And when he finds her, the scene's not good. She's left willingly, but somehow she's gotten herself back into the sex trade. It says he had to buy her for 15 shekels of silver and some barley. Can you imagine him going up to the man who holds the keys to the chains that are around his wife and the mother of his kids? Got her chained up dressed scantily and on some pedestal in some seedy market, telling this man, let her go. You can't hold her like this. That's my wife. 
we've got three kids. You've got to let her go. You can't do that. Finally, haggling back and forth and conceding to a price and purchasing the mother of his children so that he could bring her home. And God says, love her as the Lord loves his people. This powerful example is God saying that his love is not like our love. Against all common sense, in contrast to our human ideas about justice and commitment, what people deserve, God's love never quits. The way that he pursues us and desires us and forgives us is different from the way that humanity can understand love. I wonder what Gomer must have felt like in these moments. Gomer isn't just a part of the story. She's a person. A person with a lot of hurt in her heart to go and do what she's done. I guarantee she didn't choose that life from the outset because of the glamour. There was some horrible string of events that led her there in the first place. And there was some brokenness inside of her that led her back there the second time. I know she had to have been afraid. I mean, here was the man who had taken her in and provided for her. And she left him. At the time, the law gave him the right to have her killed, stoned by a group of men from church. So maybe she was afraid. Maybe she felt shame, wouldn't look up, wouldn't look him in the eyes. She knew that she had hurt him. Maybe she felt helpless. Maybe the story that she just told herself over and over and over again was that she had no value. She was worthless. This was all she would ever be. She existed to be used. Maybe she wondered what Hosea's angle was. What does he want out of this? Everybody wants something. And then Hosea says this, Verse 3, I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. You know what he's doing here? He's renewing his vows. He's committing to wipe away that any of this ever happened. If she just promises to love him and never do this again, in return he's going to love her faithfully as though it had never even happened. It's worth noting that the name Hosea means salvation and the name Gomer means completion. In this relationship, in this exchange, God is proclaiming the birth of Jesus. He's preaching the gospel 750 years before it would ever happen and saying that your salvation would be completed by me going to find you and bringing you into my family when you least deserve it. That is the message of Christmas. And so it brings us to the story of Christmas. Because in this moment, when we needed it the most, despite whether or not we deserved it, he would meet us here to complete our salvation. The story of Hosea is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of Jesus in the Bible, of what he's done for us. 
He loves us. He cares for us. He comes to meet us in a way that is far beyond our human understanding of love. The way that he's loved us is far beyond what we even have the capacity to give back to him. In this story, Hosea represents Jesus, and no offense, but you and I represent Gomer, the prostitute. Just like Gomer, we can't seem to shake off the past that we're ashamed of. Like physical chains, it won't let us walk in the freedom that we've been given. We can't understand why anybody would have any value on our life. We don't feel like we're worthy of this kind of love. Our sin, our mistakes, our shortcomings, they keep coming back to haunt us. And we keep running back to them. Throughout human history, Every time it looked like man was going to settle down and be the responsible wife and mother that we have the potential to be, we run back to a life of prostitution. So God says, okay, fine. What is the price? What is the price? Because if that's what it takes, I will gladly pay it. I will buy you. I will bring you home. I will free you, I will forgive you, and I will give you everything that's mine. I don't know what kind of value you've placed on your life. But the value that God has placed on it is exceptionally high. Immediately after he renews his vows to Gomer, Hosea begins to prophesy. It says this in verse 4, chapter 3, For the sons of Israel will live for many days without a king or a leader, without sacrifice or memorial stone, and without ephod or household idols. And afterward, the sons of it. Now, you should know that that first part it is to come in Hosea's time, but it is past for you and I. Because right around the time Hosea was prophesying, things were happening around the world that were preparing great armies to march against Israel and conquer it. They would go into an exile for almost 100 years. They would be living all around and in different kingdoms and lands. And when they would finally come back, they would come back without a true king. See, this was the time where their kingdom was about to end. The line of David was about to be interrupted. They didn't have a, a real king. They had a puppet king going forward. Even when Jesus is born, you remember King Herod from the Christmas story. King Herod is not a true king of Israel. King Herod is not even a Jewish person. King Herod was just placed there uh, because he had the right connections in politics and he was going to obey the Roman government. The true king was Jesus. This prophecy is telling the Christmas story that there will be a son of David who is to come without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. David is not coming back from the dead. A new King David is going to be made king. It is Jesus, the heir to the throne of David who would reign forevermore. God makes a promise to David when he's king and says, you will reign forevermore. He's not talking about David himself. That guy's been dead for a long time. He's bones. Jesus is the king that reigns in the line of David forever. He's prophesying the coming of the baby Jesus. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in his last days. And this is so important, this final line. In the King James, it says that they would have the fear of the Lord because of his goodness. 
See, for a long time, the Israelites were very familiar with the fear of God. Maybe you've heard that term, the fear of God, fear God. And the reason that they feared God was because of his justice. They, just, they didn't have a way to, to pay for all that they had done wrong, all the sin that was in their hearts and their lives. And so they were afraid of the justice of God that was coming. But Hosea prophesied a new kind of fear, a fear of the Lord's out of his goodness, that we would desire to honor God not because of our fear for justice, but because of how good he has been to us. Hosea is prophesying the Christmas story that something is going to happen, not in Hosea's lifetime, 750 years later, that is going to make you only grateful for the goodness of God, not afraid of the justice of God. So Hosea has this prophecy and looks ahead 750 years to Christmas Day and says that there's going to be a fear of the Lord rooted in goodness instead of judgment. The very message of Christmas. Because the story of Christmas is a story of pursuit, of love, grace, of reconciliation like the world's never seen before. It's the kind of grace that can uh, find a, a man's wife as a prostitute and bring her home as though it never even happened. See, too often we lose sight of the value of this story of Christmas because we forget how deeply we needed it. We forget how little we know about real love. How much we've turned our back on the Father. How often things and jobs and people take place take his place in our hearts, which leads us into brokenness and shame and fear. Romans 5.8 says that at just the right time, he came for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our father is this perfect father, but instead of pursuing him, we've devoted our lives to the prostitution of living, to creating gods out of money, family, and especially ourselves and what we want. We simply don't deserve his pursuit, but he gave it anyways. And in this story, 750 years before Jesus, he's preparing us to receive it because at just the right time, while we were still sinning, he came for us. He was born, he took on flesh, and pain, stress, hunger, and suffering, all of it because of how he loves us. And the relationship that we broke, this relationship with the Father, could be and would be restored forever because of this act. Very simply, just like Gomer, we broke and abandoned our relationship with God. Maybe you can clearly point to the moment in your life when it ended. Maybe you could clearly point to the moment in your life where you made decisions that moved you away from the goodness of God. Maybe you never had relationship with him in the first place. But maybe you know what it feels like to not deserve his love. Whatever your story is, if you're in a relationship with God, you are in relationship with him because of Jesus. Because Jesus, like Hosea, went and found us in the places we deserve to be and paid for us and rescued us and brought us home. So three things 
that we could find out about Jesus through the story of Hosea and Gomer. The first one is this. He loved us first. He loved us first. This is so important to understand. We've got so many misconceptions about who God is. And the biggest one is this idea that we have to earn his love or deserve his affection. Whether or not we say it outright, we permeate this into American Christian culture. Be good enough and you'll be loved. Be one of us and you can be loved like us. Look the way that we do at church and you will be loved by God the way that we are. We've put this into our culture. We've pushed it into people's hearts in a way that has made people feel that they have to earn the love of God. But that is not how the love of God has ever worked. He is not waiting for you to impress him. He's not waiting for you to devote yourself to him or even for you to make yourself worthy of his love. He decided long ago that he would make you worthy of his love. And he gives it to you freely. It says in verse 1, I love this, Hosea 3.1, The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again, even though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her the way the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Would you like to know the story of the raisin cakes? It's time. The raisin cakes, even though they're not explicitly described, we know what they are and what was meant here. You see, going back to the time of David, a couple hundred years now before Hosea, uh, David had put into practice, just out of a means of celebration, a special treat at the end of special worship services. It was like having Christmas cookies after church on Sunday. It really was. These raisin cakes were dates or some other kind of dried fruit that was mashed into a shape like a star or an animal. And they would give them out as a celebratory gift at the end of service. And people became obsessed with them. People had, at this point in history, started going to worship only to get a special raisin cake at the end. Desserts weren't commonplace back then. And so to get a cookie at the end of church, it was worth just going to church. Some of y'all are sitting in here feeling convicted right now. (laughs) Came for those cookies today. And God doesn't want you to love him because of what you can get out of it. He wants you to understand that he doesn't love you because of what he can get out of it. He just loves you. And he wants you to love him in return the same way. That's all he's ever asked of you. That is all he's ever asked of you is that you would love him in return the way that he's loved you. That you would respond to his love with more love. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. We're driven to love God and one another because of this extravagant way that he's loved us. When you were at your very worst, he loved you. He used Hosea and Gomer to illustrate that to you. Maybe you relate to Gomer. You're ashamed to pray or worship or attend in person because you you don't know what God's intentions are with you. After all you've done, how could they be good? How could he still want you? What if these people in his church find out who I really am? Could they still want me? Will God still love me once he peers into my heart? And the answer is yes. He does. He loves you, and all he needs is for you to step down out of the red light 
and into the life that he has prepared for you. He loves first, unprovoked, undeserved, and unrelenting. He loves you. Second, he paid the price for you. And maybe this one's even harder to swallow. Because maybe you just don't value yourself very highly. Maybe it's hard to imagine somebody paying for you. Maybe it's just a value that was instilled on you when you were young. Your parents made you feel like you weren't worth very much. Maybe all of your life you have ascribed a value to yourself that is low. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this person. I don't deserve this relationship. I don't deserve this job. Maybe the way that you have valued yourself has always been low. And maybe it's what the world has confirmed in you and around you always. But what I need you to see is that there is a value that has been assigned to you by the one who made you. The one who spoke the world into existence. And to be honest, the only one who is qualified to ascribe value to you is the one who made you. Who do you think you are ascribing value to yourself when the one who has made you has already said, here is what you are worth. You are worth my very life. He sent his son, part of himself, to come and die for you to pay the price for you. That is the value that has been assigned to you and the price has already been paid. We were just like Gomer. We were on pedestals built by our own mistakes, chained up by the future that we were sowing for ourselves. Our choices leading us exactly where we didn't want to be with no way out. And God shows up and says, whatever the price is, I am willing to pay it. And he paid our debt. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And that was the price. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I had a price to pay and it wasn't 15 shekels and some barley. It was death. And instead of paying the price ourselves, he paid it and offered us eternal life instead. The prophet Isaiah wrote about it a few hundred years before it ever happened. While, while Hosea is living it, Isaiah is writing about it here. It says uh, about the, the death of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You were bought at a price. So honor God with your body. I just want you to understand today that you are worth the ultimate price to God. Next time you feel like he doesn't see you or, or your life is falling apart and God doesn't care, please remember that he found you in the darkest alley in town, the lowest places, and he paid the price in order to bring you home. You are valued, you are loved, and you are pursued by him. And the last thing is this. He wants a better future for you. He wants a better 
future for you. He didn't just pay the price. He wants a new life for you. The life that you were made to live. Hosea speaks this into Gomer. He says, you are to live with me many days. God came as Jesus, that whole Christmas story of the baby in a manger, the humility of it. All of that was not just so that we could sit around at Christmas time and and remember that it's about giving. It is about giving. In fact, this is why I love a Muppet. I'm just, I, I know I should probably stop talking about it during this series, but a Muppet Christmas Carol, you guys. It's one of the only Christmas movies that declares the gospel message. Because all the other Christmas movies, the, the moral of them is pretty much the same. It is that giving is better than getting. That being with family is more important than the gifts we receive. That the time we have and the way that we share it matters most. And these are great messages and they apply. We need to do away with the, with, well, I want some, but a little bit less of the commercialism of Christmas, right? It's a great message. But Charles Dickens, when he wrote A Christmas Carol, he just set out to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if a man would consider the cost of the actions of his life, and he would face down his mortality and the eternity that waited for him on the other side, that if he could see it, certainly he would want every moment from that day forward to make a greater impact in the world around him. He could be transformed by that experience. And the only thing that makes that happen is the gospel message. See, he he comes as a baby in this humble way to a a small town to a couple of normal, regular people for parents. And it's this amazing, the first people to see him are shepherds. This amazing act of humility where he comes and he lives his life so simply. Even as a teacher, it says he had nowhere to lay his head. He wasn't some extravagant king. He was a rabbi traveling from place to place, just helping us understand the character of God better, healing people. And then when he would die, he would come back to life again with the keys to death and Hades in his hands. Why? Not just so that you could receive love, but so that you could be free and so that you could do something with that freedom. Jesus is once, he's he's at church on a Saturday in his hometown and he gets up and reads from the Bible. And the passage that he reads is from the prophet Isaiah, Hosea's contemporary. And Isaiah uh, declares the mission statement of Jesus. And he reads it out loud to everybody. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the captives free, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to give you freedom. But in Isaiah, that passage continues on. And it doesn't just say that he came to set you free, but that he wants you to rebuild the ancient ruins that are long devastated, to be a a planting of righteousness before the Lord. You see, he doesn't just come at Christmas time so we can remember it's better to give than receive. He comes at Christmas time to help you remember that not only has he paid for and bought your freedom, he has a future in mind for you, a dream for you. 
a promise in store. At the same time as Hosea and Gomer and Isaiah or a little bit after them, there's a guy named Jeremiah, another prophet. And God declares this promise to him in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he extends to you today. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It wasn't just about the moment that Gomer was freed. Hosea said, come and live with me all the rest of the days of your life. Love me and I will love you because there is a future for you. A future in mind. So my prayer for you today in this Christmas season is the very same prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. Chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, because it was always a love story. Christmas is a love story. And that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And not just power to do miracles, not just power to go out and have this incredible future, but a power to grasp how deep, how wide, how long, and how high is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he's paid a price for you. He wants you to know that he has a fullness in mind for you that goes from this day into all the rest of your days and into eternity because that is what he has declared over you today. And I pray that you would have the power to grasp it this morning. And now, to him, and I pray this over you and over your families as you go into this holiday season, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ever ask or imagine and according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 If you're in here today and you are ready to step down off of that pedestal, to receive that offering that he's given you to be paid for, the price is already settled. All you have to do is accept it and enter into relationship with him, not just for today, but for the future he has planned for the rest of your life and into eternity. All you have to do is say yes. And we do it through a simple prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for running from you, trying to do it on my own. I believe in you and what you've done for me. Thank you for paying the price for me. And so I will serve you with all that I am from this day forward. I am yours. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen, amen.